Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling disgraceful. Oh, why is that? And I'm, well, because you know me, I'm a total disgrace in public. <laughs> it's so true. And I'm also feeling like a riotous for- force of nature. Right. That's a riotous force of nature because today's guest is that. And um, I love her so much. She has brought so much joy to me. And I think that's actually a mission of hers. She's best known as a comedian, but she's also an actor, an author. She has an amazing book, which um, we'll mention later on. And she's on this kind of rebellious mission to kind of undermine most of the bullshit we are taught by society. That's actually a quote. And I underlined that because I think that's why I connect so much to her. We've never even met in real life, but we have spoken a lot online. And I think she's even coming to stay in Margate soon because she recently has been doing stand-up in Margate. But I'm a massive fan of her and I feel like we've had guests on before like Self Esteem and like Lindsay Mendick and Katie Hessel and there's this whole kind of generation of kind of modern day feminists and I feel like today's guest is part of that kind of movement of very strong voices and just intelligent, glamorous, fiery, provocative, kind of all these these amazing things and I just feel this massive allyship with her and um, I just wanted to have her on talk art and here she is so we would like to welcome to talk art the legendary grace, grace campbell oh, hi thanks, grace guys that was oh my dog she always oh, like does dogs. this the second i start recording anything she starts barking <laughs> i'm so sorry that's all right no, you it's don't fine. need to be sorry bring her bring her on we're like we're like dog friendly russell's got yeah, Rocky Rocky's, there. rocky's here just snoring at the minute that's fine Rocky's grace snoring. grace bring the dog on we love the dog. Bring the dog on. That, don't don't apologise. We love, we love the, the dog. dog. Never apologise for okay, that's dogs. Good. <laughs> She's just like, the second I start talking on anything, she gets annoyed and starts barking at like cats outside. Anyway, I've given her a duck chew. Oh, that's um, cute. Can I, yeah. can I clear something up, right? Rob's yeah. just said, described you as a comedian. Would you use the term comedian? No. Would you use the term actress or actor? <sighs> I would probably maybe say actress because because uh, I hear that said quite a lot, whereas I don't really hear comedian said much. But I don't really mind. I keep because of that post office like scandal. I keep hearing the word postmistress, and I don't know why. But I'm like never. I've never heard that word before, and I'm like I can't believe that's like a title that people have. Postmistress. <laughs> Postmistresses. Yeah. yeah. My dad the other day was talking about this postmistress that's running against the Labour MP. I was like, lol. Um, <laughs> so comedian, no actress, fine. Well, yeah. I, I described you as an actor, so no, that's what yeah. I mean. But there's... and I would also say actor. Right, but there, but there is there is a thing. Thanks, Russ. So I think I think what we've learned here is I was right in the intro. Thank yes, you. Yes, no, no, no. I, I just because I, I I'm starting to have this thing where I second guess myself now when I talk about a fellow actress or actor who's female. 
Yeah. I go, oh, I, I, am I saying the right thing now? Am I, am I catching up with what is appropriate? Maybe that's good, though, because it shows you care, babe. I, I've always cared. You're being, you're being thoughtful. Yeah, and I also it's a it's so I think probably some people would say I should say it's like I get so much. Uh, sh- am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah we love swearing. I words. get so much shit for saying vagina because people always call me out because they're like it's a vulva, and I'm like unfortunately I've spent my whole life re- referring to my own vagina as vagina, and I'm not. It's mine. Like I can call it whatever I want to call it, <laughs> and like I'm not that bothered about that. But like some people are, and I. I think some people are bothered about actor and actress, but I like personally. I'm not. Do you think vagina and vulva is kind of the same conversation as actor and actress? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I think. I was also correct and in the intro. Postman and postmistress. It's all yeah. the same thing. <laughs> I was correct in the intro when I said provocative as well. Exactly. Wow, wonderful. Grace. Yeah. You were born in 1994. You live in Northwest London. Did you grow up <laughs> with art? Was art a part of your childhood? Okay, I have <laughs> I have a really weird relationship with art. Like my my I grew up going to the V&A. That was like uh, where I have a lot of memories of me and my mum would always go to the V&A around Christmas time. I definitely did grow up around art because I grew up around like artists and um like various well okay when I was at secondary school, I went to like a the local like comprehensive school near where I live in Camden. And I was really badly behaved at school. Like, I was really badly behaved. And I loved art because it was, like, the class where I could be badly behaved, basically. Like, I loved it. And I was probably quite badly behaved in in art <laughs> class. And then when we were picking our GCSEs, I was going to pick art GCSE, mainly for that reason, because I was like, oh, I can, like, talk loads. And then the teacher told me, I probably shouldn't say this. My mum will hate that I'm saying this because it's like makes my school sound bad and like we should big up state schools. But my teacher said she, if I did art GCSE, she would refuse to teach me because I was so unskilled at art, right? So then I didn't pick it. I picked like RE or something really weird. And then I had this aversion to art because I was like, oh, well, I, I'm not artistic. And I felt really like, un, like I felt like I wasn't a creative person when actually, obviously, I, I was because of what I've ended up doing now. Then I went to um, art school, technically. I went to LCC, which is like a, um, it's like a, the, it was a London School of Printing, part of UAL. And I did a filmmaking degree there for university. But again, then I felt really like, oh, my God, but I can't say like I'm like a creative or like creative person because I'm not like I'm like I always thought I was like, um, I, I can't, how do I describe this? I always felt like slightly left out of it. And also like I wasn't like I wasn't creative. Now I know that I am. So to answer your question, Russell, I grew up around art, definitely. But I also grew up thinking that it wasn't like for me and it wasn't like my thing. And I also grew up not really understanding what it was in loads of ways. That's um, so that's such bad form on that teacher's front. I mean, all art is subjective. So unskilled when it comes to maybe academically what needs to be marked for an exam but actually unskilled as an artist <laughs> overall is bullshit i mean what were you well, do what were you making to say that ah, it was unbelievable unbelievable <laughs> it's so and it, and it actually closed you down it didn't open you up what she did then words actually made you have your self-worth as a creative person was was dimmed yeah and it's it's weird because like i now like because always deep down i've wanted to make films and that is what i'm f- sort of finally now like i've got i've gone like a really long loop of finally getting to the point where i'm directing stuff 
And I ne- again, I used to think, but well, I would never be able to be good at that because I'm not a creative person. I'm not like a visual person. Like I always thought, like, I just never thought I was good at that basically. And now I like, I know that I am. And I also feel like it's such a way that like people, especially I think women are like made to feel like they're not going to be good at doing something in a way to like prevent them from actually, you know, doing something in their own way. What was you seeing at the VNA when you was going with your mum at Christmas? And why was it oh, why was it Christmas? It was just like a tradition. It was a tradition. We'd always go at Christmas and I just loved looking at like really crazy costumes and like old corsets and I love clothes. I love looking at clothes. I love looking at uh, like I love going to see I still love going to see stuff there um when they've got really amazing clothes in. But again, I have a really weird relationship. I have a weird relationship with galleries. <laughs> they make me very anxious. Really? Because Yeah. Because I have always been told that I'm too loud and I don't have a very good sense of volume, which is definitely true. Like I get told off every cinema that I'm in, I get asked to like shut up because I I can't work out. I think I'm whispering and I'm not. And so I always find the quietness in galleries. I feel really stressed because I feel like if I speak, someone's going to, I'm going to have ruined their moment and they're going to look at me like, why the fuck is she here? But so, and I, yeah, but I love appreciating art. I just find some galleries kind of trigger me into like panic attacks. Do you think this is a thing that you're going to look back on in 10 years? Because now you've said that you've looped into being a director and believing that you have a creative energy when it comes to visually directing something do you feel like in 10 years if we revisit you you're going to say i now go to galleries all the time i feel like i can talk in a gallery i feel like like agency to be in there Uh, maybe i think it i think i'm at the beginning i'm really good friends with katie hessel and we have this ongoing joke because she's like you know we were in new york together last april and she'd be like okay we're going today we're going to go to moma and then we're going to go to the met and i'd be like unfortunately i'm not going to come like i'll just i'll have to meet you afterwards because i just know i'll ruin it for you guys because like i'll just be stressed it's too bright i don't like really busy places i have really bad anxiety so like certain sort of like places where i feel like i'm a bit out of control like sometimes i get anyway so i'm i'm trying to work on that because as i am becoming more like aware of art and my own personal style I want to you know feel like I can like back myself into going to those places and being like yeah like I get it but I've always felt a little bit like I don't know I don't know I think it's a universal feeling I don't think that is just personal to you I think many many people don't feel they have um, permission to go to these places and that's the whole point why we started this podcast is for people like yourself to listen and go oh it is for me this isn't just like i don't need to know everything before i walk in the door i haven't got to like everything i just need to walk in the door and know that the artists want me there whatever fortress is built around the art that's in it that's whatever the artist is doing they want to communicate with me it's interesting that idea as well of the noise side of it and how you feel like you can't just be yourself in that space because it's so like hallowed and kind of silenced and muted or whatever. But there, I, I think these days there's so much art that's coming through which is really participatory and which allows you to like maybe like go down a slide. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. and joy. Like there's this new movement for joy in art where people are actually allowed to talk and participate and you know walk through I don't know like a cloudy room of mist which changes colour as you walk through it. You know like the world Welcome Collection had that artist, Anna Veronica Janssen's, I think her name is, um, who did that. You know, so I think I think 
in a way, museums and galleries need to think about that and, and think about ways that they can bring people in in a kind of joyous, collaborative, you know, way that you feel like you're welcome. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I got my best friend a membership to the Tate for Christmas and mm. we're going to go there like this year and she's going to tell me things that we can sort of like go to together and I think it's about me just remembering that like obviously those places can be fun I've just always it's a bit like I remember when I was with my ex-boyfriend my ex-boyfriend like loved art and loved whenever we'd go on holiday like we'd go to different galleries and exhibitions and stuff and I remember we were in Berlin and we were so hungover I was like the last thing I can imagine doing right now is is walking around and looking at stuff so we go yeah. we, I don't know where we were we were in this gallery and I was like I'm just gonna go and sit down and then I fell asleep on this bench in the middle <laughs> In the middle. In the middle, yeah. <laughs> in the middle. And he like, I woke up and he was hovering over me like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but I remember that one being like particularly like Straight bright. Up. It was really bright and it was really like quiet. And I remember thinking, and I'd try and talk to him and he'd be like, shh. And then I'd be like, I can't even talk to my fucking boyfriend. <laughs> Getting shushed. Getting yeah. shushed by your boyfriend. Oh, God. So you said you said you knew artists. You, you're like, I said, did you grow up with art? But you said you knew artists or did you know artists growing up? Did you have like family well, like friends and... We we had not not like that. We we had I grew up around a lot of filmmakers and photographers and just like I guess people that my mum and dad were friends with. And then I remember actually, so my dad, this is such like name drop, but um my dad did this thing for comic relief where he did like a celebrity version of The Apprentice. And Tracy Emin like um gave uh these coconuts that she'd painted as boobs, like for the one it was one of the sort of like it was a fairground. They had to do a fairground and they all had different things and she'd like she'd given like eight or something. And I was like eleven years old. I did it. I think it was like when one of those things where you throw a hoop on something and then you win a prize, you know, like at a fun Like fair. coconut anyway, shark. Uh, oh no, not not. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like yeah. And so then I won one when I was eleven. Or I could choose a teddy bear. <laughs> I was 11. Like, it's so embarrassing, this story, because I, I was older than teddy bear age, but I chose the teddy bear. Oh, for bear. an original Tracy Emin. And my dad never, ever lets me forget it, because he got one, so he's got one, and he loves to talk about it. Do you wish you had one now, or do you, have you still got the teddy 100%, bear? 100%, because also it was a boob. Like, that is just, like, such a vibe. <laughs> do you think doing stand-up comedy itself is performance art yes i do yes and i think that maybe we as stand-ups don't necessarily think about that that much you know like i've had a really interesting shift in the last um, i would say it started in like 2022 in the, in the summer of 2022 where i realized that i my stand up and when I'm live especially it's quite raw and sometimes I'm I'm I say things that probably you know like when you've had like a big night out and you wake up like oh my god I can't believe I told that person that I've like never met that really personal story about myself that's how I feel after shows like I just say stuff right and I'm like why did I say that so it's quite a lot of improv involved in what you do some of it yeah because I talk to the audience a lot so then if they say something right. that sort of triggers a memory of mine then I'll tell a story and then I'll be like oh I shouldn't be telling and as I'm saying it I'm like I shouldn't really be telling this story but I guess I'll tell it please don't tell anyone 400 people whatever, yeah. this stays in this room <laughs> yeah. but I've realized 
realized recently that I, it's just sort of on the like performance art that I think I need to have better boundaries with like my relationship with my stand-up persona because I don't think I've quite realized that it is a persona. It is a, a, a something that I've created. It isn't me entirely. And I think I need to have healthier boundaries with that so that I don't always have that feeling of like I'm oversharing and then I feel a bit too vulnerable and then I feel worried that like... It makes me feel like a bit overexposed. And so I think one of the things I'm working on before my next show is like I'm going to really work on directing myself into actually making it, leveraging it into being much more like a work of like performance art than just me standing on a stage telling you too much information about myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, what, totally. would, make it, what would make it performance art then rather than a routine? I think, well, I'm going to be a lot more physical now so I think one of the things I'm sort of studying and I'm going to see various different shows at the moment is thinking about how I can use my body which I already do subconsciously but how I can really lean into ways that I use my body and ways that I use lights as well I think I've been so bog standard so far and this next show that I'm writing I want it to be I want people to take it much more seriously because I think so far in my career people have been a bit like oh who's this like Nepo baby who just swears quite a lot and talks about her vagina. Your um, <laughs> Please. If we're going to talk about it, the vulva. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's interesting, this, this idea of that vulnerability of when you're being so open and uh, almost like unexpectedly so. Um, I have that, um, I'm sorry, I've heard that a lot with artists that I work with. And there's an artist in, who lives in Margate actually called Lindsay Mendick. And Lindsay did a performance last summer in Edinburgh at Jupiter Artland. She had a big exhibition there. But um, in the summer, they have this festival thing. And she did this performance called A Pound of Flesh. And she dressed up as a pig in kind of like latex pink, you know, almost like S&M gear but with a pig's head um, kind of mask thing and then she collaborated with two colleagues of hers who were performance um, artists and dancers uh, also from Margate Tolu and I can't remember who else did it with them but anyway there were like three or four of them doing it and they actually made sausages like live in front of this audience and, and they, they created this kind of like this hay you know like a farm kind of stable thing that they were in the middle of and she was making sausages and then screaming at the audience going like are you happy now and she she did this whole kind of monologue which wow. I can't remember where it's from it might have been from Gladiator it was from like some film I think and she restaged this kind of monologue and it was so disturbing and it was all based on this idea that like her work is autobiographical just like yours is and that was weirdly when I started seeing what you were doing as art in a way because and I think you're really part of this movement of of artists at the moment who are using their kind of um, or sharing their their life stories really in a vulnerable, deep, like it's almost like cutting yourself or something and bleeding, you know, for an audience. And then it get, the audience gets more and more demanding. And it's such a high expectation. And like you were describing in the intro, you said you're anxious. Like loads of the artists I know, even myself, like I think we all feel anxious on this public stage. But it's such a yeah. weird thing that we are attracted to it. <laughs> you know, we keep putting I ourselves know, back it's, there. It's, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, I have a, I, basically, when I realised all of this, I'd written this article in The Guardian about being raped and yes. it was I was really shocked at how widely it was received I knew people would read it but I didn't really understand like I got like uh, just under 10,000 DMs on Instagram in like a day like in the day mm. that it came out mm. and it was after that and because then I, this sounds really bad but then there, I felt there was an expectation of me to talk to people about that and that topic when I was just out and about like living my life 
and that really really ground 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 me down is that yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah, it really did start to wear me down because I I could just see it wasn't a sustainable way to to live the rest of my life to be someone like I still want to do that and I still want to talk about these things and actually my next show is about something really traumatic but I think I need to have the kind of why I'm saying about maybe making the show a bit more of a spectacle so that then people are relating to it but they're not thinking this is exactly her so that then if I meet her I can talk to her as frankly as I want to because that's the part this sounds really ungrateful like what I'm saying and I I kind of hate saying it out loud because it sounds like I don't appreciate like people saying that stuff I've just got to have a bit more of a healthier relationship with it because sometimes I'll be like yeah exactly you know, like I did a podcast called Griefcast where I spoke about my brother's death. And A, after doing it, I was quite traumatized for about three weeks because I sort of PTSD'd myself by having literally spoken about it. And then it was the first time that I would get on the train and then people would recognize my voice and literally cry on me and tell mm. me about their losses and stuff. And it's a lot to take on. But equally, we were in New York the other week for tra- in November for Tracy Emin's uh, opening. And I was with Shirley Manson from Garbage. And this woman came up to her and then somebody came up to me. And Shirley said to me, you've got a... She goes, it's really interesting. They're coming to you now, you know, about the podcast or whatever. And what they talk about is never actually the podcast. It's their own experiences. And she said that she'd learned that through being garbage, that actually what you're doing is you're um, helping people come to terms with their own traumas in a way. And that's an amazing like privilege and gift in a way. But it's equally you have to try and protect yourself because you can't just take on the world's trauma on top of your own trauma. You know, what I mean, it's not productive really in the end. Like yeah, you can't I, keep going. <laughs> no, I think that's the thing. I re- I realized uh, at some point in the last eighteen months that it was it was becoming, it it was affecting my sort of mood so much that it was affecting the people around me, and I was like, I don't want yeah. to affect them because they're the people who are like looking after me and making sure I'm okay. So I think for the sake of them, I'm just going to have like healthy boundaries. But I will always, always talk about these things because it's just who I am (laughs) like I will meet someone and within five minutes of meeting them if I think they're nice I'll tell them the deepest darkest things that have ever happened to me if we're having that kind of conversation that's not going to change I think it's just about being able to sort of like know when I'm not in a place where I want to just talk to a random person about their experience with rape or you know any kind of physical yeah it's a lot I think that's the journey of an artist I think that's creativity I think you work out how much of yourself you want to give up or give away or allow people in and I mean we we talk to other performance artists like Marina Abramovich for example when she has that piece where there's all those implements lined up on a table I don't know if you know this piece and I think there's 37 pieces and people were invited to pick something up and basically do whatever they wanted to do to her body and by the end of this performance people had cut her people had like a loaded gun up against her head and she'd like basically had like a mini breakdown afterwards but she put herself out there oh and she would I'm not surprised and she would never didn't repeat someone, her. didn't someone pick the gun up and throw it out the window or something I don't know there's, I think there's some and then Yoko Ono did it and she sat there and then yeah. people would come up and just like they were allowed to do what they want and they were like cutting around her breast and revealing her pulling her breast out and women and men were doing it and you know as artists it's basically revealing humanity in that moment what what we're all actually capable of but I think as artists you do push yourself to the limit and then you wind yourself back and I guess at this point Grace you know you're 30 now you've probably gone okay and you're getting a lot of exposure and you're becoming really successful and well known for like now you're probably doing the cha-cha-cha 
with stuff, pushing it yeah. and then taking <laughs> it back a bit. You know, that's that's yeah. all you can do as artists. And you mm. want to tell your story. You want it's to also share going that. to change the way you make your work, which is yeah. great because you'll develop and it's not always the same thing. Like you're evolving and that's what you should do as an artist. Yeah, and I think like what's really cool about stand-up is that most of it is not, it's not immortalized, you know, like that most of my stand-up, thank God, just <laughs> happened live. So like those shows that I've done have been incredible and I'm so glad that I've like shared all these moments. But I, I look back on some of my like earlier stand-up and think, A, like I can't believe I thought some of the things I was saying were like of a high caliber, but I guess it was just the beginning of my career. And B, thank God it wasn't televised because <laughs> I'm just <laughs> getting better and better and I can see that and I can see like my style evolving and this is what happens like once you like start harnessing something. And then I'm like, I don't really want to have something really big happen in my career until I know that I'm really ready for that and that I feel like really in control of it. When do you think yeah. that will be? Do you feel- I, think it, I think it is happening at the moment. I think I've had such, a, I can't, it's, it's, I feel like I've grown up so much in the last year and I've sort of changed entirely how I sort of value myself and treat myself and, and make and make sure other people treat me. And I've really sort of developed such a healthier relationship with like other people and, my, and myself. So I think now I'm getting to a place where everything feels really ri- like rich to me. I feel like I'm learning so much everything that I do and the years I've been doing stand-up have sort of helped me really see kind of what I want my style to be and now I want to move into like making films and immortalizing some of the things I want to say in a different way are these personal films you're making yeah quite a a script that I'm writing at the moment is is really is really very personal and and pretty dark uh, but also funny (laughs) what filmmakers are you looking at what what are your references there's so many different things you know like one of the like i i loved boiling point like i watched that again and again i so you do want to do girls. one takes would you, would you like the idea I, of I, one take i think for a first time feature film director i'm not going to try and do that but that kind of intensity <laughs> of like a nervous breakdown and then um i watch girls whenever i want to like remind myself of like you know girls inspires me so much i don't know like i watch a lot of tv like succession the thick of it veep um a lot of my like comedy comedy references oh my god have you seen poor things yeah no but we oh you love it yeah i loved it did you love it um yes to a certain extent yes i I struggled it was hard going at the beginning i was like this is i love i I love everybody in it and what the choices he was making and the direction obviously is phenomenal and it's it's bizarre it's kooky as fuck but then i was like this is this is a bit of a slog and then it turned yeah and everybody said i i'd been warned by a few people like just get through the first half an hour it's tough yeah, because one of our mates, Holly, actually messaged, didn't she, in our group chat the other day and said, has anyone seen so it? Because her partner it, yeah. didn't like it at all. Yeah. And she wanted to have like a big discussion with all of us, but not all of us have seen it yet. God, that's really interesting. I can't wait to see it. It, it, it was, it is really interesting. And I had, weirdly, I was getting ac- acupuncture today and my acupuncturist was saying that he maybe felt... Um, that he felt it was too much in the male gaze and like mm. a lot of the sort of... I don't want to give too much away, but like a lot of the sex stuff was like way too much in the perspective of a man. But like weirdly, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel that. Um, I did. I was like, God. I said to my dad, "Do not watch this film. Like, it's, it's a lot. The sex is a lot." Um, 
But I just think Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo together, we are lucky to be able to like have that in the world. So Yorgos Lanthimos, does he inspire you as a director potentially? Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely like he, but he's so ambitious, and and also he's had like an amazing career and has like developed like his style has only like developed more and more. But yeah, Greta Gerwig, like I've been following her since I was at uni, like nearly ten years ago, and she's a, a quite a like a good example of like her trajectory has been like quite similar. And then another person is Sharon Horgan. Oh I, yeah, yeah. I, oh yeah. I just ad- so admire talented. her so much. And love the fact that she just tells these like amazing stories about women over and over again. What amazing uh, time that you can actually name all these women. You know, mm. you know, we might have spoke a few years back, and you wouldn't be naming, you know, the most most like successful female director in the history of you know Hollywood. You know, as know. happened in the last like year with Barbie. It's like this. This is a really exciting time that you're able to name so many amazing women that are inspiring you. I'm also really happy you mentioned girls because Lena Dunham for me is just one of the greats and I'm so happy she's back like writing, producing, making, directing. Do you know what I mean? Acting. Painting. I think she's in a thing with Stephen um, Fry. Fry, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. About yeah, yeah. Jewish, a Jewish story. Like amazing that she's, I don't know. I just think all power to her. I love, I love Lena But also Dunham. she, I mean, she got so much shit and yeah. she was 24 when she made yeah. the first season of Girls, a lot of which she directed, 24. That is unbelievable. When you watch it now, when I watch it now, I'm like, like because I'm older than that now, I'm like, some of the stuff that she's saying in terms of like mental health and relationships, like stand like so strongly now. And I'm like, how was she saying this then? Like, yeah, I love her so much. And she's someone that's really evolved as well. And and I think has like taken on board if she said something wrong. She's actually like learnt, put the work in, developed, grown. And she's just, I I, I think she's an artist actually. And she grew up with artist parents like yeah. Mary Simmons and um, Tip Dunham, um, Carol Dunham. Well, I, I loved her film Tiny Furniture. I yes, like, used me to too. I obsessed with that film. Mm. That was made with her mum, wasn't it? Mm. Like, or her mum's Her mum and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her mum plays her mum mm. and her, yeah. Yeah, I loved that film. So Grace, um, something I mentioned in the introduction was obviously disgraceful, um, and that you, you actually ran a club in London for LGBT and women uh, comics to have a space to grow, to experiment, to try things out, and it was really successful. and And I really, really liked the fact that from a really early point in your career, you've been sharing sharing the stage and trying to like collaborate and pioneer new voices and people that might not necessarily have had a space yet um yeah can you talk com- a bit about comedy that? is like like live comedy is is just so uh, it's it, it still is very male run and very gatekeepy and actually i had to do like a lot of that at the beginning but then once i didn't i was like it's one of the things I do at the Disgraceful Club is I um like people who have like either never done a gig before or are, like very new to stand up. I always have one person who's like kind of really fresh to it, so that they can have like a good first gig experience. Because some <laughs> of the stories that you hear and like my first gig, my first like fifteen gigs were just horrific. I'd be like the only girl on the lineup. All of the men would just stand there like sort of glaring at me if anybody laughed at my jokes and no one would say anything nice to me when I came off stage. Luckily, I have like really good friends who came to every single show that I ever did. But so I wanted to do something like that. And also the 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 nights are just really 
non-judgmental again like when I go and do like some gigs because I talk so much about sex I'll get like a lot of kind of like from people in the audience and that is just so jarring and so I think the vibe of these nights are like just come and talk about whatever the fuck you want to talk about and like it doesn't have to be polished you can just try stuff and I film their sets and then give them the footage they can post it online but they're so fun they are like the funnest nights ever um and just my thing is I just want lots of friends in comedy and we have like an alliance where we all like have each other's backs. Is, so that was the goal. Giving each other like a critique, like you were saying, no one really talked to you afterwards and you're you're giving this space to people. Do you, to have a comedy critique with your peers, is that helpful or is it is it It's so helpful. It? It's so helpful. I've got like three really good friends who are comics and when we gig together we'll like watch each other's sets and be like you why don't you say this and then it's like they'll have just watched something and given you like a a really like priceless bit bit of advice and then you're like oh my god thank fuck you were here so yeah it's it's really nice it's really nice what don't you say because comedy can be quite isolating because you are literally on your own on a stage you're not in a band like it's just you yeah what don't you say to a comic um, what don't you say to a comic? Tell me a joke. I hate that. Um, <laughs> people, like, a lot of people sort of, when I started doing stand-up, people used to be like, well, you're only doing well because you have a dad that you can talk about. And I was like, um, okay, well, fair play. I used to get a lot of that. I actually got a lot of, people really didn't like me when I started doing stand-up because of that, which is, you know, fair enough. That's their, that's their right. Didn't they to say to you, way. all you'll ever be is the daughter of Alistair Campbell? Yeah, I, I, but I had so many that, but also I had so many people after a really good set, I'd come off stage and they'd be like, yeah, well, you are lucky, you know, because you've got something really interesting to talk about. And it's like, yeah, I do, but that is also my life. Like, it, you know, I've, it's it's my life. You're all talking about your lives. And, like, that was one part of my life was growing up with my dad being who he was. Yeah, but also I, I, I feel really strongly that you've got so much fucking charisma and personality that is yours. And you are totally, you. Totally, yeah. And you are sharing your life, which is not always about Alastair Campbell. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I know you've done stuff with your dad, like collaborated with him and stuff on TV. And no, it's, it's a classic. It's, not, it's, it's just, just a classic. It's such a misogynistic thing. It's like so boring. It's so classic. And actually my comebacks now are so good because that is what I say. I say, I don't think you would say that to a man. And it is deeply sexist to resort someone to who their father is. That's like we're living in the fucking, you know, women have to be virgins before they get married era. If you the, if you think you can do that. So when I've had that, because I have it all the time, like, you know, people will still like scream at me from audiences. And I'm just like, I'm A, not even talking about it when I when that happens but B you're making yourself look worse right now by doing that it's not a good look to like shout at a young woman because of who her dad is did you ever go into Downing Street when you were a kid yes what, what was the art like terrible art there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to ask about because there, there is the government it's the government art collection and every like, like the presidents can choose art that they live with in, in, in the White House prime ministers can choose work from the collection of the government art collection that they can live with can they that's, that's mad yeah. I didn't know that yeah. so when they move in they can say like what they kind of want they to can bring pick in and choose from what's yeah, available also Tracy Emin asked to have hers removed, didn't she? Yes. She, she, really? had a neon, she had a neon in number more 10. More passion. And then she was so, she, more passion, and she was so pissed off with the government. I think it was during COVID, wasn't it? And she was so angry with them that she asked it to be moved. And I think it was, I think it was sent to France to like an embassy. Yeah, it was. Wow. So she actually got it removed, what do you which mem- you don't always wow. have the control for. What do you remember yeah, the art being her. like? I can't remember. 
I, I'm I, I'm so sorry to disappoint. I wish I could. I conflate my memories of Downing Street with that scene in Love Actually where Hugh Grant's like running through <laughs> and Ma- the Martin McCutcheon's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can't remember which is my real memories and Love Actually. It's the same thing. Oh it's based on this documentary, yeah. isn't it? But t- talking about politics, it has in in it sort of infused Eddie? into. <laughs> Eddie. Is your my dad Eddie? yeah after adina monsoon i was gonna say yeah my Absolutely dad fabulous. got me a bust of eddie's head for christmas it's like, do you really? want me to show you yeah yeah, yeah. and you're gonna yeah, have to you're gonna have to she's barking at it you're gonna right have to now. send us a picture as well that we can put on social media yeah. because it's oh frustrating God, so for good. people but she's barking see. right now because she thinks it's a real dog and so she's trying oh to you, you it. put it next to her do you this bust yeah yeah let, i'll show you okay <laughs> it's not on a shelf <laughs> we need to get wrong <laughs> in, in the dog's bust. bed with, with her. Oh, Ooh. one sec. It's so heavy. Ooh. Let me just put it down. What a, what what a, beautiful, what a beautiful object. Sorry, I can't hear you. What I did said, you say? What a beautiful object. Said, what a so, beautiful what? Object. So, it's um, it's it's um, it's like a weapon. So, is it actually your dog or is it a similar looking dog? No, it's my dog. How, how did whether they plaster cast her head? How did they do Let it? Let me show you my dog. Um, he had someone come and hang out with her loads when I was away. Oh, come here! Come here! So, really? that, so that so your your dad got you an artwork for yeah. Christmas, and is it yeah. bronze? Oh, yeah. Do you love it? Yeah, it looks bronze. I do love it. Yeah. Anyway, I was trying to say that because you'd grown up in quite a political family, it's probably like infused within your soul, you know, the idea of politics. And I was really impressed by the pink protest and you and a group of friends, including actually an artist, uh, an illustrator, Alice yes, Skinner. Yes, Alice Skinner, who did, um, like, and then does Scarlet... like, covers and everything. Yeah, exactly. And Scarlett Curtis. Can you talk a bit about that? Because you actually changed the law. Yes, the, we, the four um, of you. we ch- it, was, uh, it was the part of a legislation. So this was... So it it's so weird thinking about that time, which wasn't very long ago, but it was so different in terms of how we spoke about things. So it was like still when like period blood was blue in like tampon adverts, not that long yes. ago. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was sort of very shameful still to talk like publicly about being on your period. Kind of when I started doing stand up and I would was shocked at how like taboo certain things that I was talking about were. We met this girl called Amica George, who was a schoolgirl who had basically like wanted to abolish the tampon tax. And then what we helped her with, she's now fighting a water bottle. Um, Not her bust. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Eddie is a big humper. It's a real problem. And so she's, she's, yeah, I can't have men round when she's like humping stuff. Um... Sorry, that's a completely change of topic. What was I talking about? We were talking about, yeah, the the period tax. Tampon tax. Tampon tax. Oh my god, sorry, my headphones just did something. Eddie, you're. This dog. <laughs> it's actually like the absolutely fabulous character. Uh, yeah. Eddie, Eddie. I'm very, sorry. very. That's all right. We were just saying your dog is actually like the absolutely fabulous character. <laughs> very demanding for attention. She really is. And also, <laughs> the toys that she humps are. A Moe bottle toy that I got her. Of course. Like a champagne bottle. And then this, Lu- this Louis Vuitton bag that I got her called Chewy Vuitton. Oh, yes. Um, I used to have one of those for Rocky. <laughs> yeah. Very bougie. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. This is the last thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to take the next one. Okay. Okay, she's gone. She's gone. Okay. I feel a bit sad now. I miss her. No, she's really annoying. <laughs> um, so what we what we did is we organised a protest, and it was so cool. It was like all these like schoolgirls came from school and had made all these like banners and stuff. And then we ended up 
changing the law so that the tampon tax money was given to funding like uh, free tampons and, and pads basically for kids in the UK. Great. But that's epic. That's such a big change. Because before that, it was, they were seen as luxury items, right? Which is crazy. Yeah. And men's razors weren't. And Viagra wasn't. It's so... <laughs> it's the patriarchy. So Viagra is, oh was seen God. as a, like, you know, necessity. And tampons and pads and stuff were seen as luxury goods. And also the hashtag free periods became a really big thing, didn't it? And it's kind of united a lot a lot of people around the world. So it's an amazing... Well done So when that. it comes to the um, commercials... Also, sorry, just to jump in. So it was blue... Yes. I remember the, the blue for simulating period. Ooh. Is it red now then? Yeah. When did that all change? Around that time. That wow. was one of the other sort of things that... And that wasn't us, but that was one of the things that happened in that moment. There were two things that happened. Was that suddenly everyone was talking about periods and suddenly everyone was talking about wanking. And I remember that really well because, like, I started talking about wanking online a lot and it got a lot of attention. Because, And then we did this other thing that was Girls Wank 2, was our other, like, on uh, side to free periods. Our other thing was about wanking and we would get loads of women to, like, tell their stories about masturbation and how they'd felt really ashamed their whole lives because they didn't know that, like, it was okay to talk about it and... You know, my big thing is like the more we speak about this stuff, the healthier our relationships with sex would be. And then we would probably avoid like really bad things happening to us in our adolescence if we just like knew more about our bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's just all changed so much that now everybody talks about wanking. <laughs> like It's just it's so funny how quickly these things can change. And then you look back and you're like, God, that's crazy. Not even that long ago. It was quite different. I remember this scene in I May Destroy You. And this is when I thought, you know, some people say that the storytelling is... Some, you might have reached a limit of how many stories you can tell of what it is to be a human being. And there was a scene in I May Destroy where she has a one-night stand with this guy. I think it's a one-night stand. And she's on her period and he pulls out the tampon and then they're talking about it. And then they're, then they're like, he's like, what's that? And she said, it's clotting. And he sort of plays with it in his hand. And I remember thinking, isn't this incredible that this is seen as so cutting edge this has never been seen before. I've never seen any conversations like this ever in art, on, in film, TV, and this is 2023 or 2022 when they come out, and this is this is seen as really controversial and shocking, and yet half the planet does this mm. every month. And, it, and also, scenes like that help people feel so much completely. more normal. It's like in moments like watching that, you'd be like, oh, God. So, like, because, you know, like, again, like, one of the things I talk about a lot in stand up is like a lot of like straight men are so shaming about periods and will be like, I'm not coming anywhere near you when you're, when you're on your period. And that makes you then feel more disgusting. So, something like that is like, yeah, that's obviously how it should be. Like, it should just be completely normal to talk to someone you're having sex with about like what's going on in your body. Yeah. I mean, tampons yeah, totally. are not funny, period. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, oh my god russell um that that was also why i love one. tracy emerson so much <laughs> um, that was also why i love tracy emin so much there was a really amazing obviously she had um tampons in the i think in the in the bed display that was in the turner prize but there was a really amazing work she made called the history of painting which um i think in the medium you know of it there's like ink on paper like you know she's she's done a, a, a letter but i think it has like pregnancy tests box of morning after pills mm. tampons blood and tissue paper so it, and it was in these vitrines and i remember that work feeling so like radical yeah, it's from radical. like 99 but that and was I, I, ra- that was really radical yeah and but really... at the time she was slagged off for it like completely shut down for it 
And it's really interesting that it's taken that long to get to I May Destroy You. You know, yeah, and also I there's, know. there's artists in the feminist movement before. Like we just interviewed Judy Chicago, who's oh. you know in her 80s now. We fucking love her. She's and amazing. We finally interviewed. So you know, you know her. the work yeah, of Judy Chicago. Judy. Yeah, I actually went to the. the ex- I was just in New York in uh, November, and uh, my friend Dan was like, "Come with," and I went. I really liked that, and I had a at really, the new museum. Yeah. Oh, cool. Her, her story on, on the Bowery. Yeah. Yeah, what did, yeah. What did you Wasn't why did you respond to it so oh well? Oh my god. Uh I don't know like I didn't really know much about her. I like I I really didn't like I, I'm quite stupid when it comes to art. And I just thought there was there was I loved her whole vibe. I think she would be someone that like I would love to hang out with. I loved all her like trippy shit. I love her vagina plates as well. My friend was showing me them. Her, They're so good. So vulva. Yeah, sorry, please, please. <laughs> I, I, I also please, just sorry, Russ. I, I love see you grimacing. I was there. just like, I can't, I, you can't keep saying vagina. No, once is enough. Yeah. <laughs> I love, um, I love her collaboration with Pussy Riot as well, and like how she's she's constantly trying to collaborate with other women and like you know help platform different people. It's just she's fucking amazing. But again, like she was such a pioneer, and there are so many women like that. And I think about that. Like I wrote my dissertation at university about Mae West, who was like she was a comedian in the 30s in the 1930s and she was completely disgraced and banished because she spoke about sex in her sta- in her comedy and she was treated like a criminal and there are so many there's just so many there have been so many iconic women who have been doing this for such a long time so that now we can just like talk about wanking on instagram do you know what i mean yeah, like and talk up it's all thanks to them yeah i, I love may west yeah. quote i used to be snow white but i drifted yeah, I love that genius, quote. Isn't it? She's one of my like style icons as well. I love the way that she dressed. Did you know, oh, so Grace, that you have an art gallery named after you? As in my full name? In, yeah, the Grace Campbell Art Gallery in Sas- Saskatchewan in Canada. Now, I'm going to read really? this out. I just looked it up. And just tell me if this is you. Grace Campbell served as public and regional librarian in Prince Albert from 1955 to 1973. I don't know if that is you. Born in that was me. I was so busy then. <laughs> Born in Scotland, Grace obtained her library science degree from McGill University and worked as a librarian in Prince Edward Island for many years, encouraged by her friend Marion Gilroy. Are you still friends with Marion? Yeah, no, Marion's dead now, actually. Oh, okay. She died. Grace migrated to Prince Albert in 1950. (laughs) During her tenure, Grace advanced the library's presence in a community and oversaw the expansion, wow, of the regional library and the design of the John M. Culinara Public Library. You retired to Victoria, uh, British Columbia in 1973, a few weeks before the grand opening of the library. The library's art gallery was named in your honour. Well done. I know, thank you. (laughs) That's amazing Thank what you, you would show. That's amazing. It's a shame your friend's dead, though. She sounds like a right laugh. <laughs> That's so cool. Is 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 she slash me? Is she still alive? Does it say? So she, she says she retired in 1973. Right. So unless she, <laughs> we need a reunion. We I need don't know to what bring I mean, you Unless she retired together. when she was she's 20. She's probably broken lots of records. <laughs> she, she, she's still she alive. She might retire when she was a teenager. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> she would still be it. I love her. The thing is, that was a, yeah. it makes sense it's you, Grace, because the 70s is obviously a really important time for feminism. I was actually watching a video on Instagram this morning um, of Shia Height. Oh, the, uh, the documentary. The, femini- the sex educator, yeah. And she, in the 70s, she went on TV and spoke about masturbation and basically said that, like, all women masturbate before they have sex, say, with, with a man, and then they can make themselves come um, or orgasm, sorry. Uh, <laughs> right, Rob. No, e- either's fine, Robert. Either's all right, fine. Rob. 
I'm just trying to be polite. Um, Jesus. Can... <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, anyway, she said it on TV. Calm. She said it on um, TV and she was vilified. Your mum listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> Make themselves calm. Oh, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> orgasm. Pardon me, orgasm. But, but, yeah. At the time, it was like totally shocking. <laughs> Pardon me. Oh my god. Anyway, I love her. I think she's I amazing. love her. I went to see that documentary when I was in New York. <clears throat> Who are we talking about? Who's come? Share height. Okay. Share height. It's S H E R E H I T E. And she was honestly like just beyond an icon for so many reasons she was like she, the first she did all these like crazy research re- still, <laughs> still not over Sorry. it <laughs> oh my god Rob <laughs> carry on oh, go on then so what is she no doing? I really love that we've had this moment it's <laughs> um, oh so yeah she she was like did all these researches where she basically studied like how much women were experiencing pleasure and then she came out with this book and it was like all based on data and she was completely vilified and she would go on TV and say things like to all these like horrific men if when you watch the documentaries coming out here soon I think and when you watch it there are these she's coming across like against these men who just think she's disgusting for even talking about sex and she's sitting there talking about wanking like on live TV in the 70s and these men wow. are just oh it's uh, it was so inspiring but then actually she had a really sad like she basically got sort of like bullied out of america and ended up leaving and it's really sad because again it was ahead of her time they they weren't ready for her it's so ridiculous as well because it's essentially about pleasure and joy and like also something that is totally normal and do you know what i mean it's like everybody wants to do it or not everybody wants to do it but a lot of people want to do it so it's like they want to come a lot of people want to come Rob, right? yeah, they want to come right, Rob? <laughs> what do they want oh, to do dear. they, they want to come, come. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get to okay. our final question so i take it for you uh, a museum isn't the perfect date uh, soon as you've been shushed by your ex in one and, and you fell asleep in another and you feel you have a panic attack. I don't agree and... with that. I, I think dates and... I and agree, but for actually, Grace, interviewed... I don't think it's... No, I'm, okay, for Grace. Because when we interviewed London Hughes, do you remember we spoke yeah, about... Yeah, absolutely, but I think for Grace, it isn't, oh it isn't a place where you're going to feel comfortable on a date. I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day. Definitely not right now because I'm, I'm absolutely, I hate dating. So, well, know you, well, well, you know what you can do. hear about the 28 dates later, which oh, is an God. incredible social experiment. I love oh. this. And you haven't had a date since. I haven't been on a date since. I have obviously had sex, like, since. Like, obviously, I have sex because I love having sex. But I have not intently dated to meet a man since that project because it was almost like you know I don't know like when I used to go on big benders and then afterwards I'd be like I'm never drinking again going on 28 dates in such a short space of time on one day I went on four dates like genuine dates um, so it was it just, within a month. You had 28 dates in a month. Yeah, right. yeah. It was honestly, well, it was, it was, some of them were then in May because I was on tour, but it was it was in a very short amount of time. And it, it was really fun and really interesting. So I went on dates with people I would have never usually gone on dates with. And I actually ended up dating someone from it who I met. Um, he was in an open relationship, which like if before that project, I don't think I would have like, gone on a date with someone who is in an open relationship because like I didn't have a huge understanding of it but then actually because I'm a bit of a commitment phobe at the moment it was kind of perfect how did you find them all (sighs) was there a rule like for how you found them or 
various different dating apps. Some were like people I'd been set up with. Some were people I used to date. Uh, I slid into a few people's DMs. What else? I, yeah, got introduced by like one person that I'd already been on a date with and I was like, do you want to set me up with someone else? So it was kind of like random. And But then a lot of them were on Field. So what's Field? Field is a dating app. Field is a dating okay. app, yeah. And you haven't dated since because it was such a traumatic experience or it just would feel like work now? I, Did I you think, record this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a podcast. Each date is an episode and then I talk about it. I think the latter, actually, which I've not quite realised is because it felt like work. And I think it started to make dates feel like work. And I already felt a bit like that because I mined so much of my comedy from my personal life. And then it felt even more like going on a date feels like a job. And so maybe that's why I've been oh, a bit so averse to it. This is this is the thing. I, I heard this actually. I've heard some of them because you posted them the other day in yes, stories. Yes. And then you asked, and you had that guy who went to Cambridge University yes. or something. Yeah, he went to Oxford. That he was, was horrific. So Oxford. He was so that was horrific. just horrific. I went on a that. date with this guy Russell, and he he was he was one of the worst people I've ever sat in front of, like ever. It's called the Walking Red Flag that episode, and he was he was so offensive. And at one point, he told me that he'd dressed up as a terrorist at a party. He was friends with all the Bullingdon boys from Oxford. And I sort of... Which he called the bully boys, didn't he? The bully, bu- oh, the bully so boys. Awful. And I started saying to him, like, various reasons why that's, like, really inappropriate and not acceptable. And then he goes, whoa, you are getting so aggressive right now. You need to calm down. And I just, like, took the mic off and was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, goodbye. Thank God that this is just, like, not, like I, I could just leave. But talking about sharing, I loved how you then opened it up to your DMs uh, for your audience to come back with their like dating nightmares. And some of those stories were Honestly, just like... Honestly, it's so rough. <gasps> it's so rough right now. Dating. Why right now? Minefield out there. Well, I guess it's maybe always been rough, but some of the stories that I get told of, of people's single dating life now, especially with straight men, just some of their behaviour is, is it's just... It's comical, but also it has this undertone of like Andrew Tate influence oh, of God. like, you know, not wanting a woman who's opinionated and is going to call them out on their bullshit. And, you know, like it's this thing that I keep noticing now. I watched Priscilla. Have you watched Priscilla? No, not yet. It was really interesting. Jake Villor, the, the Sophia Coppola yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. he's so Sophia fucking Coppola. fit. Have you it? got his bathwater as a candle yet? Or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's art. That is art. That is that art. Is art. Yeah. <laughs> but that is like about Elvis and Priscilla, obviously. But it was really interesting on sort of how like powerful men, like a lot of them want like women who are much more submissive. And I think the things that women tell me now of their dating experiences and definitely in my personal experience, sometimes, not all the time, is that um, straight men are, some of them, not all of them, I know so many great straight men, but some of them are feeling maybe like they don't know where they stand with women in a dating capacity. So they act in a way that, I, I don't know if it's intentional, but undermines the women that they are dating because they feel intimidated by their power or their confidence or the fact that these women don't need them anymore, you know? Obviously stuff needs to change, but how can it, change how can this sort of I guess by you making the work that you're making by your art I don't know I think it's I think it's we have to raise future generations in a different way and I think I would my generation was this like unfortunately and then sort of now the internet generation like the guinea pigs of 
this age of information and these influencers like Andrew Tate having the amount of influence that they do mm. and being able to infiltrate people's minds in the way that they do. Um, and so I honestly don't know. I really don't know, but it's one of the reasons I'm not dating because I don't want to get stuck opposite someone like that ever again. Mm. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I really feel like it's really important, a bit like what's happening. You know, you got your <coughs> Tate membership for your friend. There's a really amazing show on at Tate Britain right now. It runs until the 7th of April called Women in Revolt. And it's looking at art and activism in the UK between 1970 and 1990. And it's just the most extraordinary group of uh, artists. And just the message within that show each and every artwork just you know has so much within it to, to inspire and uplift and to make people realize they have a voice and I feel like even Sinead O'Connor's passing recently and Catherine Ferguson's documentary about Sinead's life I feel like the more we highlight and also the sh sheer height um a hundred percent because the more we see how these women have been treated it's such a reminder of of why we have to be the way that we are. And like both Sinead O'Connor and Cher Height are, like, are women who were vilified for essentially having opinions that lots of people agreed with and people were scared of that. And with all the change in American law now, you know, taking away women's rights, you know, reproductive rights, all of these issues that are happening and what you're talking about, the whole Andrew Tate effect, I also feel as a gay man, a complete uh, responsibility and allyship for women to stand up, support women. And I don't just mean like in public, if you see someone being treated badly, obviously stand up in that situation if it's safe, you know, to do so, to protect other people. But I, I just feel like you have to highlight women basically and support women because without women, we are fucked. Do you feel a change at all as a woman in comedy? Definitely in terms of like opportunity and stuff. And if when I whenever I listen to like Catherine Ryan talking about what it was like when she started um, in comedy mm. in the UK, I'm like, God, it's again another person who had to go through, who had to plow through the shit so that like I didn't have to smell it when I was coming up. Mm. So it ha it definitely is changing. But then I, I I do also see this other side of I guess these this influence that uh, not just Andrew Tate, but that influence, that effect that's having on some men infiltrates into comedy. It's becoming much more polarized. Like you'll, you'll just have gigs for like women and queer people. And then you'll more have gigs for like straight men. And I guess some women who don't mind gigging with some of those men, but I, there are lots of comedians that I just, I wouldn't be bothered to perform with. Cause I don't want to follow someone who's just made loads of like really off key jokes about rape and, just just jarring shit to then for then me to have to go on stage and 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 be funny um have you seen the mrs merton doc carolina hearn doc and they go into mrs merton and how the opportunities she had at that point she had what's his name bernard matthews come on who was and he'd just basically said i'm homophobic and i'm a racist and she was just like oh come on bernard and she was trying to like and she absolutely annihilated him in a really kind of sweet wow. old woman. Like, you've got to watch documentaries. Wow. It's incredible oh God, what she achieved okay. at that point. And she had her platform and she invited him on. And he obviously was maybe unawares of what the actual platform was, but she did something incredible in that really? moment. Really? Oh, just wow, amazing. Yeah, you've got to watch it. Because also he probably thought he would not He would get away with it. 100%. You know? yeah. It's that arrogance yeah. that some people have, yeah. thinking that they'll, smart, they'll, out, they'll outsmart you. Really, really brilliant about her life. I loved yeah, like her. Craig Cash, like reminiscing oh. and all about the royal family. And yeah, it's an amazing woman. What an amazing woman. I mean, incredible what she achieved. As you are doing, Grace, you're making Well, making guys, a you're too nice. It's so nice. 
No, you are, you are. So we're going to get to our final questions now. The first one is, okay. if you could do an art heist, you could steal any artwork from the government art collection. No, from, from anywhere <laughs> in the world. <laughs> from anywhere uh. in the world. What, what would it be and why? <laughs> I was going to say something so dark. Go on, go on, go on. What, what, what? I was going to say I want my childhood back from Tony Blair. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and Sherry, because your mum works yeah, Sherry. Yeah, I the want, Blair family. Uh, yeah, I want Mr. my childhood back. <laughs> I was talking to Katie about what to say because I was like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I, I was like, I want to, I want to sound. But then we were talking about it, and she was like, "What was the first piece of art that you like remember thinking you loved?" And I was like, "In Gossip Girl." So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the <laughs> cool, work yeah. of uh, XOXO. XOXO. So Serena Vanderwoods. So Serena Vanderwoodson's mum like had the most amazing art in their house, and they had this. Um, it was that Prada Milano, you know the Prada sign. It's by Elm Green and Dragset. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They created it in the desert. They created this boutique in the desert. Oh really? Yeah. So there's like yeah, this, yeah, in the yeah. middle of in nowhere, Martha. in the middle is of the desert. Yeah. Is it Martha? Might I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it might be in Texas. Because then it was also reason. in The Simpsons. Because then me and Katie were <clears> talking about Texas. it, and then they showed it in The Simpsons. Um, so I would want to rob like Lily Vanderwoodson's whole house um, because she also had she had loads of cool shit. She had a Marilyn Minter. It was like a sparkly. So it was in Serena's bedroom. It was like a an eye like with lots of glitter. Um, so I'd rob all of the Vanderwoodson's art. Is what I would do. Because then I could iconic. also be in Gossip Girl. That's, oh, that's wow. a great response. That's I a love great that. answer. We've never had that before. Really? And it is Prada Martha, Russ. Yeah, it's Martha, that's Texas. it. That's it, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's a boutique. And me and Anna, my best friend when we were younger, like we obviously, because I've got this thing, oh, it's annoying. You'll, you'll probably not have to have this in the podcast. But did you see my Dolce Vita? Oh, that? yeah. So you've got like show. a oh, yeah. street art. Is that Mr. Brainwash? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. Yes. My mum got that for me. That's nice. And then I've got this as well by this amazing artist called, oh, I'm going to have to go and look at her name. I follow her on Instagram. She's amazing. I got that at the Affordable Art Fair. Sorry, I'm just now giving you a tour of my house. Oh, because that's in North London. Yeah, it's in Hampstead a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's called Marcelina Amelia. Amelia Marcelina is her Instagram. What is it really about cool. that piece? What What is it actually so in the image? So it's basically got all these books on it. So the one that she ho is holding, the girl says, I only want everything. And then it's about, like, some of them are about anxiety, um, how to stay sane, FOMO for dummies. It's just, it, fe it felt very me. And it's pink. What is it, a pain sorry, painting nice? or a screen it's printer? It's a painting. Oh, nice. Painting. Yeah. I once brought a guy home. And, and he was looking at those two pieces. And he was like, but why do you have them? And I was like, well, I don't know, like the Dolce Vita just looks kind of like rich and like chic, you know? And I was like, he was like, but why? I was like, I don't know. I just think it looks nice. Like, and I was feeling really like stressed by it. But her one, I feel like it's, it's about like anxiety and sort of like being a woman, being an, a nervous wreck. But the, the Mr. Brainwash one, I think there's a kind of decorative element to his work that's quite joyous and fun and it is glamorous exactly. and a bit cool. And yeah, like, and there's no shame enough. in that. Like... No, exactly. But also everyone has different parts of their personality and I think when you collect art, it's almost like revealing parts of yourself because for you to actually connect to an object, there's a reason why. But you might, you know, you have all different you know, parts of you and that will be reflected in the art you live with. Yeah, That's and great. also I think we shame people too much for like being a bit like uh, superficial. Like sometimes you, yeah, you can or frivolous just like or want to buy silly. some Prada shoes and like, and like not want to be like shamed about the fact that you want to do that. 
Yeah, or be a lead role in Gossip Girl. Oh, um, so exactly. your next question is, what is your favourite colour? Is this like one of those things that you're then going to tell me about like my whole personality based on this answer? <laughs> <laughs> there is a personality test yes. to do that. My favourite colour is probably baby blue. Oh. Yeah. I thought you were going to say I, pink. No. So did I, because there's a lot of pink around there's you. There's a, lot of, pink, a lot of pink and green. Yeah, everything in my house is pink. When I was younger, I hated pink. Uh, I actually had a phobia of pink, and I used to go everywhere with hand sanitizer spray. And if anyone touched me with anything pink, I would spray wherever they touched me, because I had such a phobia of pink. I was such a weird child. It's crazy that I was, like, popular. Like, I was so odd. Um... <laughs> But so I had oh a phobia of pink because I was such a tomboy. I had two brothers and I really, really like wanted to be them. And so I hated uh, pink and I had I loved baby blue and everything I had was baby blue. At secondary school, my tag was baby blue. Like we all had tags and my tag was baby blue, but spelled like B-A-Y-B-E-E and then B-L-U. Oh, this is your graffiti blue. tag. Like what, yeah, yeah, So yeah, you'd write this yeah. on <laughs> underneath chairs and stuff. I'd write it. So on you were like a young my... graffiti street artist. We just, <laughs> we just no, we didn't get to that It wasn't until no, the art teacher not. went, you're not creative. And it's like, we could have been, you could have been the next Banksy, Banksy Campbell. <laughs> baby blue. <laughs> baby, baby Banksy. Baby, baby blue. blue. <laughs> you still could. Um, but baby blue, yeah. Baby blue is my favourite colour. Great. What's the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art? Do you know what? I was trying to think about this and I actually received some really good advice today. So I'm just going to say that because it's really fresh in my mind. But I was talking to a producer about this this script that I'm working on. And she said, because I said, you know, I'm writing about something that has very recently happened to me that was a very intense thing to go through. And it's quite raw and it's sort of coming out like quite fast. It feels like it, I'm literally bleeding it out at the moment. But she said it's so good to do that when you're in the eye of it because what will happen is if you don't do it now in six months you'll kind of be over it and then you won't have immortal, like written it down in the way that you are now and then at the end when I was leaving she said I said it's very overwhelming because I feel like it's a lot that's going on in my head that I'm trying to write down and she said you just have to see it line by line page by page day by day and you don't have to think of it really long term you're just getting it out as you are now and then you'll be able to look at it all as one big piece because I've not written anything this complicated in my life. So it kind of feels like I could be having a breakdown. <laughs> Has that advice already changed your thought process on development? It made me feel a lot better about, you know, because I've been really strict with myself this month of I really want to write this piece that I'm writing. It's a script. And... I've had to sort of say no to lots of stuff because I want to get it done now. But she really affirmed that thing that I felt, which is I should be writing it now because I'm feeling so many emotions about it. And it would be a waste to not really like be writing it while I'm feeling all, the, all of this because you can you then suddenly do forget about things that have happened quite fast, you know? That's, I think that's just the human psyche though, is that when you're in the eye of the storm, it feels terrible. And then in, in retrospect, the pain doesn't feel as bad because that's what the body does. It just recovers and no feeling is finite. But actually when you're in it, if you can use that that trauma as, you know, we're lucky as artists that we can channel that into creativity. If you can in that moment do that, it's there's something really cathartic and really special in kind of using that this it's so becomes true. a privilege it, yeah. that trauma becomes a privilege and it's almost I always say it's like I like being able to offset my trauma because it makes me feel like it was worth something yeah. when I'm then 
go making it into something that I hope will make other people feel better. I'm like, that's why that had to happen because otherwise this wouldn't have happened. 100%. And then it makes me feel more sort of comfortable about it because I hate feeling angry about things. I hate having like anger towards people or situations or regret. So it's much better to just make it into something because then you can be like, that's why it had to happen. Well, I think for me, I find that creativity has been something like a gift in the fact that it's given me the privilege of being able to put trauma somewhere and and you know what other jobs do we have where I can go into a scene and I can cry and scream and everyone applauds you normally in any other regular job you know when I've got sort of using that trauma yeah. you, 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 you go to HR and you'd be struck off for a while you know it's like we, we it is we're a lucky real, so lucky we're so, so lucky, lucky that creativity is is a real outlet for all this stuff and I also believe in you know what you're saying about the universe and things had to happen is that pain happens to everybody and this isn't just talking about creative people because you have to move in life you have to move somewhere and sometimes the only way that you do is through a really painful experience but it pushes you somewhere and if you hadn't gone through that painful experience you wouldn't be where you are now so there's again there's a privilege in these events and not having any regrets and realising that things happen to get you to where you're meant to go if you believe in all of that which I do I really do. And I think that when I was saying earlier how much I feel I've really grown up in the last year, a lot of it is that, is feeling I can process stuff in a, in a much healthier way and not feel angry towards people and not feel bitter or resentful um, because those are such unhealthy emotions. They're so bad for you and such a bad, toxic way to be carrying yourself around the world. And so, yeah, like, but we are so lucky because to be for me to be able to say I'm going to take this month to write about something really traumatic that's just happened to me, you know, most people go through something really traumatic and they have to go back to work the next day and then, yeah, you know, act as though it never happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, you did the podcast a few years ago with your dad, which was football, feminism, and everything in between. And you guys brought feminism and football together. I wanted to give you a tip, which is that in the Tottenham Hotspur site, there's actually an art gallery now called Oof O O F Gallery, and they have brought art and football together, and they do exhibitions on all kinds of topics, a lot to do with masculinity and even queerness. Actually, loads of amazing shows. Oh there. my god, I love and, that. And, and feminism, but with art. And I thought yeah, you Caroline and your dad Coon's should go there. Work was in there, wasn't it? Yeah, Caroline Coon's there. there yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, we and went. Loved... We went to Tottenham last week. I wish I'd known that. Me and my dad. Oh, did you? Yeah, it's actually on much, the yeah. site, and they oh, also god, have that's... a magazine called Oof, which is a really brilliant magazine, and they do like cool artist editions where it's like football. Um, jerseys like designed by an artist like you would absolutely love it i think and your dad would too that's really cool okay that's really cool i'm definitely gonna do that with my dad i love that and i also think football's changing so much that's such a great example of how football is changing well there's your hot tip this has been amazing to spend this time with you grace thank you so so much for hanging out with tall carts with these two volvers we're so <laughs> we've, had, we've had such a nice time. Such it nice was time. an um, honour and a privilege. Thank you for having me. Truly. And um, for everyone listening, what is your Instagram so they can follow you if they don't already know you? Disgrace Campbell. It's Disgrace Campbell. Disgrace and Campbell. And you can and you can get um, Grace's book, which is called Amazing Disgrace, and it's a book about shame, yeah. which uh, you'll all probably relate to. So please buy that book. And also, who was the artist again that you collaborated Alice with? Alice Skinner. A friend of yours. Alice Skinner. Yeah, Alice she's Skinner. one of my best friends, and she did the artwork for my podcast as well. She's incredible. She's called This Is Alice Skinner on Instagram. Amazing. Yeah, we love her. I and really you, like her illustrations. They're mm, great. You have an upcoming tour. Grace Campbell oh God, is on yeah. heat. 
Oh, yeah. you got, you, that's all written though. You haven't got to write that. That's <laughs> no. not that's not written either. That is not written. Okay. Just write it on the night. When that you're is there. so far from written, <laughs> but it is in October, so I'm going to vomit it out at some point soon. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Well, we all look forward to that. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. Grace Campbell, we love you, and uh, I love everyone, you. We're going to post images, and uh, we'll be back very soon. And come stay, Grace in Margate. I can't wait. I would absolutely love that. I truly. I've got Kadif Kerwan downstairs right now, but um, when he's when he's moved out, you can uh, you can move in. <laughs> I really love that. We'll All be right. back very soon. Take Thanks care, for listening. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. <laughs>